I'm Jill Shaw, and this is Catalyst for Change, brought to you by the Shaw Family Foundation. My guests today are two food entrepreneurs local to Boston, Francis Guyar and Lorena Lorenzet. At the height of the pandemic, they came together to create a new program to feed kids in need. This program is called Local Lunchbox, and it uses community kitchens and local restaurants to prepare meals that qualify for USDA funding so that they are free to children. Francis is CEO of Stockpot Malden, and Lorena is a celebrated local chef and owner of the Farm Girl food truck. Good morning, Francis and Lorena. How are you both? Doing great, Jill. <laughs> Good morning. Wonderful. And Francis, I guess you are coming to us today from vacation. Thank you so much for joining. You're very welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And Lorena, where are you coming in from today? Uh, from Cancun, from Mexico. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, you guys are both on vacation, taking a well-earned break. That's wonderful. That's yes. wonderful. So the two of you came together um, to create this very innovative program that's called Local Lunchbox, and you did it in response to this crazy pandemic and to a deep need that kids have. And we're going to talk quite a bit about the program and, and how you made it all work. But could you start by just giving us some context for where you both came from? So Lorena, maybe could you talk a little bit about your background and, and how you met Francis? Yes, I, I'm from Brazil. I, it's my country where I born. And I came to USA, I was 18 years old. I always have this feeling inside me. I was in a vet school in Brazil. It's very different from, from cooking to be a chef. But I grew up in the family there. My grandma was Italian and uh, we cook. So we, we grew up in a table, around the table. So I moved to here and uh, I started working in some restaurants before think about it, have my own company. Mm -hmm. So the ways my life going in was bringing me to this stockpile and molding mm -hmm. and in the beginning France wants to hire me to work with him and I say no I can't because I have a full truck yeah. and I I need to work on my business yeah. and the pandemic uh, before the pandemic my business was growing very well um, finally I hit some like nice market in Boston offices lab and all these uh, companies in Boston downtown wow. but it was growing is the way it is business and food industry. And uh, so Francis called me uh, and the pandemic, before the pandemic, I have like full booking for caterers. And, uh, and I remember it was my birthday. <laughs> and uh, so everyone is canceled. I say, no, oh, this is awful. <laughs> so two weeks later, Francis called me and with this crazy idea and told me about the program. And it seems like everyone around the kitchen say, no, no, this is crazy. This is not going to work. Yeah. I don't know so much work. And I say, no, let's do it. I want to do it. I have nothing to lose. So let's do it, Francis. So you are, so your business was booming and your food truck was going really well. You were a very celebrated chef. People loved the food. And then suddenly, because you served corporations and other employers in Boston, it, everyone went home with, with the pandemic and your business completely dropped off. Is that sort of what happened? Exactly. And then... Francis gave you another call and said, well, while corporations are shut down, kids are in need and proposed this idea of cooking for kids. Exactly. Okay. 
exactly. And so, Francis, tell us what was happening yeah, over at Stockpot Mall then, as you were sort of thinking about this. And I know you were very involved with Chelsea as Chelsea was trying to help feed so many people who had also lost their jobs and also suddenly didn't have the income to pay for food as they normally did. Exactly, yes. So, yes, Stockpot Malden's business is essentially to provide a kitchen for a variety of entrepreneurs, and Lorena was one of them, and we had 20 others, and many of them got into deep trouble, obviously, when the pandemic struck for the same reasons that uh, you just mentioned about, about Lorena, that essentially the corporate headquarters would shut down, there was no more uh, corporate cafeterias uh, needing meals and so on. So we had really, most of our people were idled by the crisis there. And what we ended up doing is we started a small program on our own nickel at Stockport Malden. Since the PPP program was paying for keeping the employees, we decided to buy some things and, and essentially serve some free meals initially. Mm-hmm. And obviously that had a finite limit since our financial resources are somewhat limited. So that got us to, in front of Chelsea, begin to understand the problematic, I guess, of, of Chelsea there. And uh, at that point, that's when the Shaw Foundation kindly, you know, came came in basically and said, well, there's actually, there are some underutilized ways of doing this from government mm-hmm. funds. And it required quite a bit of engineering and staff of the supply chain to figure out how to make it work. So as Lorena just mentioned, I kind of went around and talked to a few people uh, about partnering in doing that somehow. And and Lorena is absolutely correct in saying that most people were intimidated by it. They thought somehow the economics would never work. They thought this notion of producing a very large number of meals would never happen. And one of the the traits of Lorena is that she uh, fears absolutely nothing. So she decided to jump in with the, you know, that Brazilian innovativeness that, that is out there somehow. And she said, let's try it. Let's try to figure it out. At that point, we were not too sure whether those meals were going to be hot or cold, what the quantities were going to be, how they were going to be delivered. But the the luck that we had is, is really that on both sides, on the Shaw Foundation side and to a degree the YMCA as mm-hmm. well, and hopefully on our side, largely through Lorena, we were willing to figure out how these things were going to dock with each other somehow. So, uh, you know, we accepted in essence, particularly Lorena took the risk of saying, I've never done this in my life. I've done one event with a large church once and and that's about it, but we'll figure it out together. And there was enough engagement coming, particularly from the Shaw Foundation and being willing to figure it out along the way. So we jumped in and and this just uh, got everything started. And so you really did figure it out. And so just to clarify, there were three pieces of this. And so the USDA provides money to pay for kids' meals. And it, and um, they do it through two different structures. But it's on average somewhere between three fifty and $4 a meal. And um, they had opened up the ability to feed kids by handing out food. So kids didn't need to be sitting in a school building or sitting in a community center in order to receive those meals, which are kind of the standard standard rules for um, feeding. So the USDA had very predictable revenue. There was the opportunity to use that capital to feed kids. The YMCA was able to be the processing agent. So effectively, they could take all the receipts and submit them to the USDA and then get repaid and pay you. And all of the creativity came from the two of you. 
And so maybe you could talk a little bit about how that operation looked, because you were preparing, and we'll talk about the numbers, but you scaled up to an enormous number. I mean, millions of meals were served out of the Stockpot Malden facility, which is a a fairly substantial kitchen, lots of refrigeration, and you had transportation. And Lorena had prepared um, these very culturally preferred meals, beautiful, um, full of proteins and vegetables and fruits and grains, um, all whole and real. And so, and they all approved by the USDA. And so, can you talk a little bit about how you split duties and um, and in order to produce this? And what were the most complicated pieces of of putting this together? Maybe um, let's start on the let's start on the beautiful food side, Lorena. How did how did what did you have to think about? What were the hardest parts to tackle? Well, uh, first of all, was the volume. Of course, uh, I never did that before, mm-hmm. as Francis say, uh, just once, but. We figured out we need a lot of hands. <laughs> this was the first yeah. thing. And uh, of course, I did a research. Um, I want to make sure the kids is going to eat everything. I don't want to like wasting food. Yeah. So what I did was a search on the community. So before we start cooking and we, we do everything by ourselves, like we cooking and we packing and we go, me and Francis and our families, my mother, his... Uh, girlfriend so everyone's going together <laughs> distribute the food so when I was there I started like doing a research with them and Chelsea and uh, make sure what kind of uh, community we have over there so if I'm not wrong it's 89% is Latin mm-hmm. so I say let's go and figure it out what, what Latin they come from so it's more Salvadorians so let's do it so I try to get all the flavors they have home in our meals over mm-hmm. here so of course we we work with the budget, but everything was very nutritional. We tried we've been coaching from YMCA, um, and uh, so I just go with my creativity and see what I my for my side uh, as a mom too. I know what my kids like to eat. They like to eat like a clean food, but that tastes like mom's yeah. food. So so if it's like home, we we're gonna make sure and they're gonna eat. So. A lot of vegetables, the way kids like to eat. Um, brown rice. Um, I know some, they don't like brown rice. So let's, what, what we can do for the, the brown rice? Let's add some like corn to the brown mm-hmm. rice. So try to catch the eyes. So very colorful, nutritional plates and and was working. It was yeah, working. It absolutely was working. And mm-hmm. can you talk, Francis, a little bit about how you distributed that food. How did you make people aware that the food was available and ready for them? And, and how did you get it out to families? Right. One of the things which was really completely new to us, but turned out to be a, a key a key weapon, is the fact that those meals are distributed physically in the streets, right? So one of the characteristics of this program, as you mentioned earlier, Jill, is that uh, these meals can be distributed away from a physical location, or at least they need to be attached to a location, but basically they're handed out from the back of a truck in a street. So that gives us a lot of leeway in terms of reaching the public there. Uh, the, The space is physically defined for the truck, but after that, the personal engagement of the people at the back of the truck with the with the visitors with the guests becomes very very uh, relevant mm. 
So what we discovered early on is that if there was a certain enthusiasm communicated by the people who were handed, handing out the meals, then there, were more up, there was more natural uptake. People understood that these meals were worth something. They understood that we were interested in collecting some feedback. They understood that somehow uh, they could talk to us. And so all of that had a, a very, very important characteristic. And frankly, from an economic standpoint, we could also produce a quantity of meal and stay there until everybody had been served. Mm. And particularly at the beginning, the demand was virtually unlimited. Mm. Later on, it was a little bit more carefully calibrated because there were other sources and so on. So that piece was really was really very, very helpful to have. And frankly, we discovered that the partnership with the, the, the people themselves, the mothers and the kids was great, or the, the parents, I should say more appropriately, but also the partnership with the sites that were distributing. So the Shaw Foundation nicely identified the Salvation Army, various religious places and so on, and the, the uh, Chelsea Housing Authorities. So partnering with the people who were managing those sites was also very important because I had some concerns about the logistics or serving the people and so on. So that allowed a lot, a lot of uh, relationship building as well. They became part of the ecosystem. And it, so it sounds like at some point this was very much driven by word of mouth where friends were telling other friends what was happening and that was bringing more demand to, to the sites and growing your business to the outreach initially these are vulnerable populations sometimes difficult to reach and so can you talk about some of the strategies that you used early on were you using um, things in multiple languages were you distributing flyers were you how, how did you get people to come at the beginning right so First of all, there was always a very nice front-end campaign that was organized sometimes by the sites, sometimes by the Shaw Foundation, sometimes by the YMCA, that kind of softened the ground, mm -hmm. right, where people would know, become aware of that. And obviously, social media were part of that as well. So that was one factor of that. After that, I think there was a lot of uh, the quality of the meals were very, a very important component of that. Uh, when I started putting my own phone number at the bottom of those uh, leaflets, the menus that were inside the boxes, I started getting messages. And the, the nicest messages were like, you were pleasantly surprised by the quality of those mm. meals. So there was clearly a, you know, some enthusiasm for the food itself and the fact that the food resembled their population. In Chelsea, there was a lot of, you know, can we get a little bit more empanadas and a little less tacos? And so there was a lot of input yeah. coming coming in this fashion. So I think that's really what produced that somehow. With the, the most, you know, I can re remember an episode in one of the uh, Chelsea Housing Authority place where a kid came in, basically. Most often it was the parents more so than the kid, but a kid came in. And then the next thing that happened, the kid took the meals home. And then all of a sudden there was a whole flock of kids coming, invited by this first person out there because these meals were essentially a representation of what they ate, what their mom cooked, right. as Lorena said earlier on. And now the, the other thing that I, I learned as well about the quality of those meals is that it's difficult to find people who can cook very well at the high end and people who can cook very well at the at the more affordable mm -hmm. end of the spectrum yeah. somehow. And, and that is really, you know, Lorena can swing from one extreme to the next very, very well. So she can prepare a meal that costs three or four dollars or a meal that costs ninety dollars. And she knows how to maintain a quality all the way through. And the reason why it was difficult to find a partner like Lorena was that is that the high-end chefs tend to remain high-end chefs and people who deliver you know, meal, meals typically do not think of quality as being an inherent attribute that everything becomes a cost-cutting exercise. So, so that's, I think, where perhaps the greatest innovation 
lied. And Lorena, how did that make you feel? Because as people were picking up meals and more and more people were coming and word of mouth was saying, oh my God, this is delicious. This is like what I would get at home. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what it felt like to be handing meals to families and to kids every day? And some, is there any particular story that strikes you about how someone responded to your food? I remember the first times we are, me and Francis, we go to uh, um, Salvation Army in Chelsea. And I remember the first times I see the, uh, we say, um, I say in Spanish, I speak Spanish. I say to them, bring your friends, tell your neighbors. We have like these meals, free meals for the kids. And, and I remember day and day and like the line is growing and growing and they like the food and I see the message. I, I remember in the beginning, I was a little bit afraid when Francis say, let's put the, the, our phone number door. And I say, are you sure? And he's like, let's do it. <laughs> I say, okay. <laughs> but it was a very good surprise because um, everyone sent a very nice message. And Francis always like, follow me, see, like, see it. It was a good idea. And uh, people was like and saying like this is the only meals they have in the whole day. Uh, many of them lose their jobs on the pandemic, and uh, so they are very grateful for we do this decent meals. And you, uh, uh, we know I know because my kids go to school too, and um, and I have neighbors, and I have a brother-in-law that lives in Chelsea, and uh, they have kids, and uh, they say well this food we can eat so I bring to my family to my friends and to my neighbors and they make me feel very happy as a human being so I could help all this community and make sure they're going to be fed so this was a beautiful beautiful thing well I think you guys are both proving uh, a really important point which is that you know one that there are multiple ways to use USDA funding to feed kids and to feed them well, but also that, you know, there are so many ways we can use that money. It's pretty unrestricted, right? We can we can use it to feed kids plastic wrap, prefer, uh, preserved food that can just sit on a shelf, or we can take those same dollars and turn it into local jobs that are creating this culturally preferred food where people feel like they it was produced in mom's kitchen. And, and it's so much better for them. And probably that love that you add in there as an ingredient, Lorena, does amazing things for people. It sounds like it does. Uh, but it's the same money, right? Yep. It's the same cost. And so as, as we've moved out of the pandemic and, um, you know, people are getting their jobs back and um, things are starting to go a bit better, uh, we still have many, many food insecure folks. And we had many food insecure folks as we went into the pandemic. And so a question for all of us is really, how do we use those dollars to feed kids? Do we do it in a way that provides nourishment? Or do we do it in a way that just, you know, checks a box in terms of, you know, putting something in front of kids? And and so we know that this program works, the three of us know that it works, and that it can be spun back up every summer to feed kids who basically leave school and leave behind those two or three meals a day that they receive from their school cafeteria. But I think the thing that we've all been talking about now is that schools could be using your service. They could be bidding out to you and and you could be preparing these beautiful meals at you know with the same dollars to feed kids in school right now. And they also can 
bid out to you to do these meals when every time any time that there's a school break or during the summer. And so how does that feel as you look into the future? Do you think that there are ways to scale this in the state, across the country? Is this something that we should really be promoting as a model to take advantage of innovative ways to feed kids? Absolutely, from my end at least, yes. Uh, it, it is when we look at this as a, as a system, and uh, I'm an incorrigible system thinker, I guess I always like to look at the full picture. Uh, so with the schools, it's, it's very apparent, for example, that the kitchens in the schools are somewhat underutilized, mm. right? They are utilized until one o'clock in the afternoon. They're open after that. So there's an avenue of collaboration with the schools themselves, which could be essentially opening up their kitchen to that. Uh, I was also, I've, I've Try to educate myself, but for your coaching among among other other ways about the after school programs recently, right? Mm -hmm. And first of all, there's a dramatic lack of after school programs, and then the after school program themselves very often do not offer food. So, at the end of the day, there's only it seems to be nationally, from what I read, about only one kid out of twenty is really receiving an evening meal, even though they are supposed to all get that. And the reason they don't is that they probably are not involved in an after-school program to start mm -hmm. with. And even if there is an after-school program, they may not be serving supper. So that's a huge opportunity. The weekends is another huge opportunity. So we would love to figure out how to create, to, to fill that gap. And I know that's what the Shaw Foundation is all about. We'd love to figure out how to fill that gap of the snacks and the evening dinners, the weekends, obviously continue over the summer. And I think that's highly replicable. You know, the, the beauty of this program is we learned we could scale very fast. Yes. And by scaling very fast and with a little bit of help at the beginning to reach the economies of scale required, we were able to do it and become mostly self-sustaining and, and very viable. So uh, we, we believe there is something to be created by aggregating the demand for these evening programs and these snacks, perhaps for the weekends. Uh, you will not be as easy as during the pandemic, because this aggregation is a little bit more piecemeal, it will take a little while longer, but we'd love to do that. And what we also discovered is if what, after we figured out how to do it in Chelsea, it was easy to start doing it in New Bedford and Fall River and Lawrence and so on, right? So that once you have the processes in place and you understand the economics and the culinary side of things, then by definition, we can keep duplicating. You can even effectively franchise it, which, you know, we could do with local restaurants and so on later on. So so I think we are onto something that is extremely scalable and sustainable. Now we have to figure out how to do it in practice. Yeah. And I think, um, Lorena, can you put people's minds at ease a bit? Because right now it seems so hard for so many restaurants and other employers to hire enough people to fill their needs. And yet you built in the middle of the pandemic this HR program that was recruiting people as you grew and as the number of mail, meals that you were delivering daily scaled, you were able to scale your workforce. So what, not that you want to give away any really special secrets that you have, but how did you do it? How, how were you able to attract and keep and grow um, talent within your organization? First, we're going to deliver in Chelsea. And I see people, there are so many like um, volunteers there and, uh, and the line. I never been um, in the Salvation Army before. I know they exist. I, I know every. I know all the work they do and very important for the community. So I say no. This is all 
people that come to help us, Lorena. I say, really? So they're interested in working. I say, yes, maybe. So so they start coming to the kitchen and call me. And uh, so we start recruit the own communities that we feed. We start recruit them, bring to the kitchen. Some of them doesn't know much about kitchen and all this. And so me and Francis have the idea to pay up teachers to come in and uh, coach them coach them and even in English some of them speak Spanish only so we try to help them with the English too and uh, mm-hmm. and the end the only thing we want to make sure is these kids is going to be fed they're going to eat the food and so it was this combination of a great training program and you really were promoting people people were able to get training and and move up through the ranks as as you grew and then also this amazing mission. Yes. And now we create so many uh, jobs here because we create from people. They work in the cook lines, going to like a sous chef and chef and some management because we need some tool in the kitchen because it's a large kitchen and uh, to myself too. So now uh, the program is, is over, but they have like so many opportunities out and they are prepared. So we prepare like yeah. people with careers. So they out now. That's wonderful. And so Francis, as people are thinking about how could they do this in their area, what would you recommend to them? Certainly we have the locallunchbox.org website up and running. And so people can learn more about this and they can see a video about your work. But do you have any advice for other business owners who want to get involved in feeding kids and using the USDA as a budget basis for that? Yes, I think the the program is largely usable by lots of people, obviously at various scales, since people are going to be gated by the the size of their restaurant. But um, yes, what I've learned from my side is, is, you know, three or four things, I guess. So one of them is that I, I never knew that there were government or public resources that were underutilized. I had imagined that everything was, you know, utilized to the very, very end somehow. Mm. And and that uh, by definition, none of that would be accessible to us. And it takes a fair amount of of coaching to arrive at that. But that's that's the first thing that I I learned. After that, I think it's essentially taking the risk, right, at the front end. And it's, it's very helpful to have that coach there again, who essentially mitigates the risk for you. I know we would never, I think it's fair to say, Lorena, right, we would never have ventured into this program on our own because it's very intimidating. There's paperwork, there is potential liability, there are nutritional requirements and so on. So we would never have done it. But but what we discovered, and that's frankly, you know, Lorena's propensity for, for risk or appetite for risk that, that largely played a role in this, is said, well, let's try it, right? And we were held by the fact that the pandemic had put us into dire straits, right? Yeah. So then your desire for risk increases. But it, it's wonderful to do. We started, again, not knowing a whole lot of things and discovering that. So I think a lot of restaurants are probably stopped also by that, this notion of, oh, of course, my refrigeration unit is too small, and how will that cohabit? with my restaurant, my dining experience, and so on. But at the end of the day, if you jump into this, you can partition your dining area into a, a production line and a residential line. You, there is you know, ref- refrigeration that you can add at that. The only thing that is typically missing is the kind of the innovation portion, right? right? It's just the willingness to basically jump into the pool and see if you can swim or yeah. not somehow. 
So that's largely what I've learned from yeah. that. And I mean, the pandemic was a great creative instigator for all of us in that we, none of us were really thinking about how do you push the envelope on using this USDA budget to feed kids well. And so Local Lunchbox, though, is another great example of how you do that and how you really take advantage of amazing professionals who joined your force, as well as connecting them with families and kids in need. Um, and so we'll just keep doing that as we move through summers and um, through other times that kids are out of school and can't access the food or with schools um, who want to move to working with a group like yours rather than outsourcing it to um, a factory that's just producing packaged food. Well, I want to thank you both so much for being with me today and um, for letting us learn a little bit more about you both and about the program. Thanks very much to you, Jill. Thank you to have us. Thank you. Absolutely. I'll let you go back to your vacations. Have a great day. <laughs> you too. Bye-bye now. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Francis Guyar and Lorena Lorenzet. Local Lunchbox is a terrific innovation, which can be implemented every summer using local restaurants and USDA funding to ensure that every child is fed highly nutritious and culturally preferred meals. Please go to locallunchbox.org and subscribe to learn more about how you can participate in this program as a restaurant, a school, a community center, or as a family with children. I hope that you enjoyed today's podcast, and if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your friends. Have a great day.